Hello, everyone, and welcome to our broadcast. I am your host, Keegan Randall. Now, as a reminder, the information provided here is for educational purposes only. This is not meant to be a doctor-patient relationship. If you have any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or health professional. With that done, let's get started. I'm really excited today to be joined by a couple amazing guests in the teen mental health space. Joining me today are Dr. Nadine Baker, a clinical psychologist at Providence in Anchorage, Alaska, and Brandy Stratman, a senior manager in the Providence Adolescent Residential Treatment Program. Thank you both for joining us to talk about this very important topic of teen behavioral health. I'd like to kick it off uh, by learning a little bit about each of you and what you do. So let's kick it off with you, Nadine. Well, hey there, it's nice to see everybody. Um, I'm Nadine Baker. I'm a clinical psychologist here at Providence in Anchorage. Um, I've been in our health system about 22 years. Um, and during that time, um, I've worked a lot with uh, families and teens um, across our service delivery system. Um, and our integrated health programs. Fantastic. Brandy, how about you? Hi, everyone. So I um, am Brandy Stratman. I have been with Providence for 17 years now, which feels hard to say out loud, but it's true. Um, and I've worked um, with families and adults um, within the Providence Health System. And currently, my role here, we serve adolescent girls 12 to 18 who um, have experienced extensive trauma and have other mental health issues. Um, and so our program is about a year in length and, and the kids and families spend that time here healing and reconnecting with their strengths and getting the help that they need. Fantastic. Well, I'm super honored to be on with two um, true Alaskans here. You know, first, I'd love to get your take on the changes that you've witnessed in this past year um, in the community in regards to teen behavioral health because of the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I should have mentioned I'm an outpatient behavioral health at this point. Mm -hmm. So I'm the clinical supervisor and a provider in this office. Um, and I think we'd all agree that this past year has really highlighted as a community so much of a shared experience that when we look at how teenagers have been trying to navigate uh, an unprecedented time where we've really reduced some of the things that they rely on, you know, to help them interact and uh, enjoy life, uh, not being able to go out, not being able to go to school, um, you know, being contained at home with their family um, for extended periods of time, uh, especially through the winter season, which can add some other variables too. Um, it's, it's been amazing to see how resilient folks are and how creative and innovative we've been in trying to come together as a community to support each other, but also to really recognize uh, how this has affected, you know, the younger populations. I would yeah. agree, Nadine, around that. I think that being an adolescent is all about connecting with friends. And it's a time when you typically disconnect a little bit from your family and start to form your own identity and start to find out what's cool about you and makes you unique in the world. And having that um, experience, you know, really just shrink a lot and also um, have it be virtual, I think has caused lots of significant barriers for kids to really develop their potential and connect with the things that make them feel good about who they are. 
Yeah. Would, would you say um, for teens that there are certain risk factors um, that you can watch for in terms of uh, teen behavioral health? You know, I think the interesting thing about teenagers is, you know, we, we always kind of assume they're just things that are normal and typical for that time in your life where you're learning so much about yourself and how you relate to others. And and again, looking at this past year, there's been a lot more conversations of how we make personal choices that can impact the people we live with and our neighbors. And so I think, uh, you know, really when we look at the situation, we have to be very thoughtful about what is normal and what is typical. And we all have feelings. We all have situations that can be tough to get through. And we all need other people to kind of help us with that. Um, so I think Brandy and I would agree that we want conversations to happen regularly, just normalizing um, these experiences and being really careful about um, determining that somebody is going to deal with a situation for the rest of their life when it may just be situational or related to the brain starting to put things together and understanding that feelings don't last forever. They're just information that if you have what you need, you can get through them. And so, you know, a lot of what we see is pretty typical. Um, I, I would say we we're careful if people stop engaging in their relationships, if they're spending too much time alone or in their room, um, if they are having thoughts, um, you know, that are not helping them adapt and grow. Um, and certainly um, their feelings are so big, they're having a hard time going through them and they don't know how to ask them. I would echo what Nadine says. I, you know, in terms of what to watch for, it's one of those things that um, that is, it's a tricky question because it's gonna be dependent on the kid. Some kids naturally like to be by themselves and re read all day and that's their happy place and that's a good thing for them. Um, and other kids, that's a really big warning sign um, that, that things aren't going well. And Nadine's, you know, suggestion to really look at who your kid is and when you start to feel disconnected as a parent, that's a good indication. Um, our relationships with our kids are our strongest um, lifeline to know how they're doing. And when we can't connect to that and don't know how they're doing and we're not feeling that, we usually know there's something there. Something's something's missing. Yeah, that's a great point. I think for all the parents out there that can kind of relate that there is that kind of intuition sometimes when you realize there are the natural ebbs and flows and then sometimes things start to steer off course long enough that you just get that feeling that things are a bit off and now is now is a really important time to be clued into that those intuitions and feeling you know <clears throat> nadine you mentioned how the feelings and situations now don't always impact them uh lifelong but are there situations where the trauma you experience as a teen do have lifelong consequences or is that always kind of moldable well looking at the word consequence uh, you know it could be positive or negative so I think as human beings, we we all have to go through things that are tough, right? That unexpected, unfair, um, and challenging situations. And so ideally, we get what we need kind of where we're at, and it will help us as we move forward in life, use that information to help us deal with situations better. So, um, you know, that's always our goal, but certainly, 
things that are meaningful are going to affect us and we want them to. And we really want to frame it in a way of, of course, this is important. Of course, this is affecting you. It's affecting all of us. And how can we use this situation to help us grow as a person, maybe develop some more internal resources or, or learn how to use external resources to help move us through it? Um, and ideally, if we create a foundation for the teens, you know, as they young adults and older adults, they'll continue to rely on that um, to support them. So, yeah, it's it's uh, so important. Uh, like you said, framing it, creating the right environment around. Um, you know, so to kind of segue a little bit from there, Brandy. Um, you know, what can parents or even peers do um, when they start to notice that something is a little bit off? Uh, what are those kind of first measures, resources that they're, they're available? I would say just the, the conversation. I feel like sometimes parents and peers or friends are scared to ask the real question. And so they skirt around the question by asking lots of other questions that don't actually address what the thing is that we're trying to talk about. And when we do that, we really show kids that we don't believe in their capacity to have the conversation and we devalue what's happening inside of them. And so if you are concerned about something that you see, just to call it out at a private space and to not use things like humor or sarcasm as a means to try to address something really serious, but to sit down with your whole heart and to say, I'm really worried about you. I've noticed these things. You really love these things and you're not doing any of these things right now. And, and talk to me about what's happening for you. I want to know. I care. Um, it is probably the, the biggest strategy you can have and, and to check yourself and notice your own discomfort so you're not leading with that in a way that's making you inauthentic um, or creating distance that way. Yeah, and in the case where either the conversation progress or you know a parent feels they're not quite ready to start that conversation, what kind of resources are available? You know, Nadine's in the outpatient world, so I'll let her. I'll let her go there. My my knowledge is definitely a little different than hers, but she's she's going to have some great resources. Great tag there. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've known Brandy a long time, um, and uh, you know we we live and work and play in this community too, and we have our own families, so we we. We genuinely know how difficult it can be to talk yourself into having the conversation. And, and really what we want kids to understand is it's okay to talk about things, even if you don't understand them and even if it's awkward. Uh, and I would suggest, you know, sometimes the conversation is, hey, this has been hard for me. I wondered how it's been for you. Uh, you know, just, you know, trying to create um, a safer way for somebody to acknowledge that maybe things aren't going so well. Um, I would say for kids, oftentimes you can start with um, people they already know. So they're pediatricians or um, other healthcare providers they might have a relationship with um, and helping them have the conversation, you know, making an appointment, going in with them and saying, you know, you know, my former daughter has been feeling more down and out these last few days, or, um, you know, they're just, having a hard time getting the energy and motivation to um, to participate in things they used to, you know, what are the options? And, um, you know, depending on how long um, they've been feeling that way and um, what type of experience they're having, generally we would start off with people that they know, maybe reaching out to their teachers um, or other safe adults and kind of giving them some information so they can also reach out 
um, to have conversations or to invite them to do activities that might help them kind of work through it. Uh, certainly, if it seems like um, that's not going to be enough, we have other resources um, in town that, that the primary providers can help uh, refer to, um, such as myself, you know, um, or the, the group that I work with here at Providence that, you know, we have medication management groups um, and therapy uh, for, for all ages um, where we might be able to provide support for a limited time, depending on what the person needs, or they might establish a longer term relationship um, with us. Um, we have other programs as well in case somebody needs to be in a hospital setting or in Brandy setting where it's, it's a longer term program, but it's designed to help folks recognize where the problem is, get to know people, figure out what needs to be different, practice some things, and then um, start using that back um, in their typical environments at home and, and um, in the school system. So we have a wide range of options for people depending on uh, what's happening for them and what they need. Yeah, <clears throat> again, kind of hitting at that idea of, of the team approach. I mean, really trying to surround these teens with um, so that support environment at the family level, at the school level, uh, people they're comfortable with. Are there instances where therapy as a family is beneficial? <laughs> maybe that's your maybe that's your line, Brandy. <laughs> sure. Um, I would say family therapy is um, one of the most um, beneficial things that can happen for a family system when the whole family system isn't communicating in a way that's promoting health and connectedness. Um, and, and a lot of times, and I, an adolescent may just need one point of individual therapy or a school counselor, some, you know, someone to connect with. And then other times it becomes very evident that the things that are happening within the family aren't allowing the family to meet the goals of creating a really health, a healthy, safe, safety, health and safe, healthy and safe environment um, for growth and connection. And that's the times um, that family therapy really comes in to learn those skills and to create dialogue about how we really impact each other and what really matters. Um, yeah. It's one of those things that is just really, when you're when you're in family therapy and you really get into it, it's one of those things that is really beneficial and can't speak highly enough of. <laughs> Which is why I was smiling. I'm like, who doesn't benefit from having some third party kind of help? Um, mm -hmm. But I would add, you know, for a lot of parents, um, you know, being, being a parent in and of itself is an interesting journey and it can be really valuable to um, learn how to support your kid the best way possible. So sometimes it's education on what is typical and normal and, and different ways to uh, support your child. Um, sometimes parents need help too. You know, I mean, we have feelings and thoughts that sometimes get in the way of us uh, managing things well. And so um, we have situations where, you know, um, parents will do their own therapy and work with a therapist, you know, around their child's issues. And uh, I also think, you know, the pandemic highlighted maybe some challenges families were already experiencing and it just kind of exacerbated them. And so um, that can also um, be very helpful at uh, creating some good patterns um, so that, you know, families can continue to work on things. But, you know, kids are very perceptive. They know when their parents are having a hard time, they know when it's not safe to bring something up because it's too uncomfortable. Um, and unfortunately, we reinforce a lot of patterns um, around just keeping it to yourself or, um, you know, sucking it up and, and moving forward until 
you know, our body starts showing us that, that we're not doing so well. Yeah. So if we, if we bring it out a little bit more and say like, let's, let's look how we're doing in the community right now, you know, are we doing a good job of providing the right kind of culture and narrative um, and support system for parents and families? Or, or do you think we have some work to do there as a community? I think, I think we have both. I think we've got some work to do and I think that we're doing lots of things really well. I think this event in itself and highlighting mental health and the necessity for a comprehensive um, mental health programs in our schools and in our communities, it's just highlighted all of that. So I think it's really, the pandemic has given us an opportunity to look at the areas of mental health and say, this is really important. Um, it's not something we can pretend isn't valuable and not see it as an integrated health um, as an integrated health perspective. So in some ways, the pandemic has highlighted that. I think it's also highlighting the gaps we have, um, that people really do need um, providers to have openings. We, we have lots of shortages in our communities. Um, and so I think it's highlighted that. And in other ways, just this event in itself is, is a step towards something better. Yeah, we, you know, Anchorage has, in many ways created a service line that's pretty impressive that you don't find in many other places in terms of um, you know the different levels of care that we do provide and and the um, emphasis even from the school district and trying to pro provide you know early intervention for children and and kind of create that groundwork um, but absolutely the need is is generally pretty great and trying to ensure that we've got enough um, programming um, and access to that programming. And I think, you know, we've seen like many other states between the pandemic and politics that people have a lot of different ideas on what is needed and what is going to work. And, you know, I think Brandy and I would both advocate for, um, you know, having as much um, programming and services available to meet the different levels of need people have. Uh, and, um, you know, as a community recognizing the benefits that if we take care of our most vulnerable um, and we take care of ourselves that, you know, we're going to have a strong, healthy community. And, uh, you know, we're a very active community as well, which I think helps, you know, getting out in the parks and, and spending time um, in the great outdoors. Um, so this is just one other area where the size of our population often makes us look like we experience a lot more challenges uh, than some other places. But given our population size, I think, and and how well we've done with the pandemic, you can see that we have a lot of opportunity uh, to continue to create um, options for people who are struggling with mental health, who are struggling with addiction, uh, who are struggling with trauma, or medical conditions that, you know, just made life harder. And, uh, you know, seeing each other as humans, seeing each other as neighbors and doing our part to advocate um, and connect people to other people who can help them, I think is pretty critical. Yeah, well, I love what you said about there is that, you know, we sometimes don't often give ourselves credit for what's going well. And, you know, being a community that is a bit more, you know, uh, remote at times, um, comes with its inherent challenges, but also comes with its uh, inherent community building and strength. And we have the opportunity to really innovate and, and make an impact directly in our communities here. So to pull it in back a little tighter again, um, let's talk about what Providence and spe specifically is kind of doing to tackle this teen behavioral health um, topic. We are pretty invested 
in making sure that on every level <laughs> we can take care of uh, the teens and the families that they belong to. Um, so I think from the different levels of services we provide to different ways that we outreach to make sure people are aware um, of what we have. Uh, we, we do have a hospital. Most people seem to know that, uh, that the hospital exists, but I think there are a lot of individuals uh, who still don't quite realize that we have a psychiatric emergency room, that we have inpatient uh, subacute crisis recovery program, that we have a residential uh, girls program that's phenomenal. And, uh, you know, we have a pretty extensive outpatient um, programming as well. So I think there's uh, a lot of things that Providence has done to uh, identify um, and try and promote meeting the needs of, uh, you know, mental health and physical health across the board. So, um, you know, we, we view everybody like they're part of our family. And uh, it, it's important to us that people do well. One of the things I wanted to add to what Nadine shared is that Providence has started a partnership with the Volunteers of America um, and is um, putting and funding schools um, to have therapists who are trained not only in substance misuse, but in mental health issues as well to help students early on in the school and be available and to have that be their primary role. And I, I think it's two schools, Nadine, if I, you could correct me if I'm wrong, that we are currently piloting this program in. That's really exciting. I think it's three. I think it's two elementaries and a middle school. Well, yeah, I couldn't exactly remember, but it's exciting stuff. Yeah. Well, it, it's great. I mean, I think, you know, I really witnessed Providence be a leader in so many aspects in our community. And it, and it takes, you know, a big entity to say like, hey, we, we stand for this. This is important. And then start to create those partnerships. And <clears throat> often it's getting the word out. That's the most important thing. So great to be able to do this event today and highlight some of the um, the great work that's done already and some of the ideas that are in the works for the future. So, you know, let's shift to um, the success stories. We've talked a little bit about some of the challenges, but what are the things that you've seen that have worked either kind of on an individual case basis or, you know, a shift that you've seen kind of in this topic um, in the community? I will tell you hands down, when I look back at the past year, telehealth has been a pivotal um, development in our ability to help people access care. You know, you look at whether somebody's in rural Alaska or locally based who's got barriers such as transportation or they're struggling to get out of bed, um, you know, that, that that has been something we have been very successful um, at implementing um, to, to allow more access. and. And honestly, it's kind of nice to see people in their homes. I mean, I have really enjoyed uh, for kids to be able to show me their rooms and their backyards and for, you know, adults to be able to show me their their gardens and, you know, to, to go on, you know, to say, we're just going to walk to the mailbox. You know, I'm going to I'm going to come along with you. Uh, but I think, you know, that's definitely been uh, very successful this year and something that um, I think is a silver lining to the whole um, COVID pandemic. Yeah, awesome. I think the decrease in stigma around mental health and substance misuse and the collective um, seeing us as a whole as we're all struggling, we're all moving through this together. Um, there's an emphasis on that in a way that I feel has shifted quite a bit in the community. 
I feel like um, when the pandemic first started and neighbors were checking on each other and saying, hey, there's toilet paper at Fred Meyer on, on Northern Lights. And there was this sort of community um, emphasis to make sure everyone got what they needed when there wasn't, when it didn't feel like there was enough, there really was this idea that we're watching out for each other and trying hard to make sure everyone's really coming together. That has been nice in the last year. Yeah, they say without pressure, you know, that's how you make diamonds. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, you know, a challenge does force you to critically look at things and, and some of the bright sides has been bringing awareness to these issues, you know, seeing people band together and, and do things really um, that wouldn't have been possible without literally the whole world having to go through a challenge altogether. Um, so it's, it's, it's great to see that shift um, and, and to know that the possibilities continue to grow. Um, so we did get a question from from the Facebook feed here. Uh, a parent is asking if they if they do get their teen to open up, but then the, the kid says, they're, "Oh, there's nothing wrong. I'm fine." Um, what what should a parent do in that situation? Again, I'm guessing they're fighting kind of that intuition of like ah, it doesn't seem like that's the right answer. Um, any tips and tricks there? There are a couple ways to approach that. One of my most favorite at home. Uh, and it work. Uh, wow, that's amazing with everything that's going on. I don't even feel all right. <laughs> so help me understand what you're doing. Um, I could use your help. Uh, you know, just kind of normalizing the fact that uh, in, in this given time, it would be hard for anyone to feel okay. Um, but I also su suggest planting seeds. If you just see the conversation as a way to um, to give them information like, hey, it's okay if you're not all right. I can handle that. I want to help you and, and I'm here. So just let me know. Uh, you can also leave them notes. You can just play games or do activities with them to kind of warm them up or get them more comfortable and see, you know, if they will, uh, you know, start the conversation when they're ready. I think it's this idea too that there's this one conversation that happens and and really it's lots of little conversations often where those seeds that Nadine has talked about are being talked about so openly in the family that then the kid comes back to you eventually um, and that it's not one it's many and that when when they're told there's nothing wrong or it's you know I'm fine that like Nadine says we none of us are fine so so I hear that, but I'm definitely I'm hoping you can come back and talk to me more about that later because <laughs> I want to know um, are, are some strategies that tend to work really well. Yeah, I think a lot of times they will come back to you. It's kind of, you know, and they'll they'll put a feeler out and you just want to make sure you're paying attention and that when you're doing things with your children on any level that you are fully present, you know, as much as you can be so that, um, you know, they do feel emotionally safe to, to venture into an area that uh, might be more challenging. And I think it it's important for the parents to realize too, that it doesn't have to be the perfect conversation. You don't have to say the right thing, ask the right question. It's more of, of like showing that interest and just kind of being there and stumbling your way through it if you have to, but way better to do that than to leave something unsaid because you just don't feel like you can find the right way to do it. Right. And you can always go back and say, I know I asked a question and I think I talked too much. So I'm going to sit and listen now. <laughs> um, you know, 
or you know, not sound like I just watched a commercial and I have to go through the inventory with my kids. But, but. Yeah. <clears throat> so it looks like we don't have any more questions. Oh, we got another question here. Um, oh, <laughs> they'd like to see the Olympic medal. Well, I was just going to say, you know, that um, to your comment of as a parent presenting the fact that, you know, okay, we're all going through something hard right now. I'm struggling. So let's work through this together. Even Olympic champions, you know, go through their struggles too. I mean, these things are heavy. And, uh, you know, if you, if you let your five-year-old walk around with it, you know, things get broken in your house and, you know, the, <clears throat> all sorts of crazy stuff. But, um, you know, for, for, this Olympic medal to me, you know, it took a 16 year journey and there was a lot more that didn't go well, but it was always coming back to that idea of, okay, just keep taking a step forward, keep making that little bit of progress, you know, allowing myself to be vulnerable and just kind of open with people. And it took a long time to learn how to ask for help. But every time I built up the courage and I did it, it was amazing how it just, it just helped lift me up. You realize you don't have to do this stuff alone and you think you're the only one that's going through it, but there are a lot of people that can relate and help. So um, Olympic medals, you know, a nice circle. And to me, that really represents the kind of well-roundedness that we all need to, to be successful in our lives. And um, so, you know, just have a little, a fun little reminder here. Um, but, you know, thank you both for sharing your perspective. Um, I think elevating this conversation is so important right now, you know, and as we, as we broke it down, there are just really useful strategies and tools in there. Um, and, and we can all feel confident that the, the tide is going in the right direction and we are getting more things going in the community that are really positive here. So I want to commend both of you for the work you're doing. Um, you know, you're, you're like that coach on the side of the trail. That's, you know, when you're hitting your toughest moment in the race, you're keeping, keeping them going. So um, thank you for the work you do. You know, a big thank you to Providence for having really picked up this issue and putting a lot of support and resources around it and then willing to partner in the community. Um, and um, let's all just keep going for that gold medal and look look for the bright side. Um, I think we're coming out of it and uh, <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of good things ahead. So, um, you know, we're gonna keep this conversation going on the Providence social media. Follow us at Providence Health Alaska on Facebook or Providence Alaska on Instagram. And there are a lot of great free mental health resources and tools available at worktobewell.org. So that's work, the letter, or the number two, bewell.org. A lot of great free resources. Um, and please help, help us continue this conversation going forward. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Thank you. It's been, it's been awesome. Thank you.